Welcome to another message from LifePoint Church, located at 400 South Abilene in Valley Center, Kansas. For more information on LifePoint Church, go to our website at lpcag.org. It is our prayer to invest in generations to influence community. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Steve Rains. If you have your Bible this morning, go to the book of Romans. I want us to jump into our text, and then we're going to end with a focused time of worship tonight. Um, or, excuse me, tonight. How do you like that? Um, but uh, but uh, at the end of service, we'll have a, a focused time of worship. But um, I was just thinking about beginning this topic this morning as we uh, carry on into this series. And my mind went back to a time, it was years ago, but it, it marked us significantly because you all remember, if you've had a child, you remember when your first child or even your second or third or sixth, when they were born. And you remember all those feelings and, and that emotion when, when the nurse or the doctor said, here's your baby. And they put your baby in your hands. And I can still remember Austin's eyes. They were just so big. And, and just I was just like, man, this is incredible. I'm a dad. Um, what do I do? And, uh, and then they took him out of the room. And we didn't see Austin for probably um, 12 hours. And, and, you know, as new parents, you're, there's that anticipation, but you're like, this isn't normal, this isn't right, what's going on? And finally, then, then they came and told us, and, and um, they took us back to where he was, and he was all wired up, and, and um, you know, we were separated from him. And as a new parent, that was just like so, so marking and so, so defining in many ways. Um, and then there's that moment where I think back even further back than that time when, when I was at a church in western Kansas and, and I was standing up in front of everybody waiting and the, the sanctuary was full, it was packed, and I was waiting for the doors to open because that meant that my bride was coming. And I was just like, can I just go back and get her right now? You know? And I, I remember that, that feeling of, of separation, not in a bad way, but in a way that, that was like, man, I just want the doors, I want to see her. Right? And then they opened, and then I just cried the rest of the morning. I remember just uh, a few weeks ago, several weeks ago, you'll, you'll remember this when you see this picture. Remember, remember this? from our own county zoo the chimpanzee that had to have an emergency c-section and then then they reunited mom with with the baby Do you remember the video uh and how many of you got all teary-eyed you're just like oh that's just so precious you know as the mom realized saw the movement in the in the blue blanket and then like went and scooped up its child right all of those stories and your stories, too, when you think about the topic of, of, of today or how I'm in, entering into this, we all have stories of separation. But at the end of, of those stories that I just shared, there was, there was a barrier keeping individuals from or an animal from its prize or a reward. And so over the last four weeks, counting today, we've been in really a mini-series dealing with humanity's separation from God and what's causing that. And, 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 and the ultimate outcome of that separation is what's known as the wrath of God. 
And Paul is talking to us about a topic that we don't like to talk about, that we would probably prefer to ignore, and, and it, we find it easy to ignore. I mean, uh, you know, nowadays you'd rather talk, or I, I mean, it's like, it's tulip time. How many y'all have tulips are pocket, you know, popping up? We walk out of our house, and there, there's like stuff springing up out of the ground now, and it's just like, it's springtime. Mowers are firing up. I pray they all break down. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just like, I don't want to mow yet. And some of you in this house have already mowed. But today is a f the final message in, in this mini-series. And this topic, this topic of the wrath of God is so critical because we have to understand, we have to understand it because, because as we do, the good news of the gospel becomes even better. As well as the urgency of sharing Christ with those around us should increase in our life. It's hard for us to appropriate the gospel or the good news of Christ if we don't understand the bad news, right? Chuck Swindoll said this, God gave the law because he knew that the bad news of our sinful condition leads us to the good news of the gospel. That God just doesn't leave you hanging out to dry, so to speak, but he, he provides an answer, he provides a hope. And if we ever forget what you're saved from, and if you ever start, stop marveling at just how good grace is and how good the, the, the place is that he's prepared for you, you're in trouble. And so during this mini-series from Romans chapter 1, verse 18, through uh, chapter 3, verse 20, Paul is presenting his case of all, to all mankind, that all mankind is under the wrath of God, right? And because of this wrath, what caused the wrath, well, the, what causes the wrath is sin. And as we've seen so far, Paul has been dealing with three groups, and we'll deal with the fourth one today. The first group that he deals with is the hedonist or the depraved Gentile, however you would want to define it. You find that that's in Romans chapter 1, 18 through 32. Pastor Levi preached that uh, message. And then you deal with the moralist in chapter 2, 1 through 16. That's the high-minded individual. The, the, they're high-minded. They're like, I'm better than this person, comparing, comparing themselves to other people, uh, uh, thought like but um, they're not God-minded. Last week we talked about the religionist or the, the one who is, gives himself to ceremony, that their, their acting in ceremony is their hope, uh, verses 17 through chapter 3, verse 8. And then today we see entire, the entire human race. So all four groups are a long way from the Father, and they don't know how to get home. And Paul is acting like, really, I would describe him as a county coroner and the DA as he lays out the final issues today. He describes the cadaver of sin, if you'll allow me to paint that picture for us. I have a friend who's a mortician, and, and uh, he, he jokes with me um, about different things about his profession and, and experiences that he's had and, and uh, a pastor that um, we sat under while we were in Bible college him and his wife when they were married going through Bible college lived at a funeral home upstairs and so he would joke and tell stories and, and pranks that they would pro, uh, play on friends that would come over to visit because how many know when you, when you live in a funeral home it's just a little bit things go through your mind how about we just leave it at that right 
What's that noise, right? But look how Paul describes them. If you have your Bible, open up to uh, chapter, Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. At this point, it's not up on the screen, so you'll have to look at your Bible or on your phone, whatever your device is. But, but um, Paul lays it out, starting in verse 10. He says this, as he's des- describing these cadavers, if you will. Their throats are open, an open grave. They use their tongues for telling lies. They poison, the poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and hate. Uh, their feet are swift to shed blood. I mean, how, that's just like depressing again, right? Sin has infected the entire person, in other words, from their eyes to their feet. And the problem of sin is, is what it does to life. Sin always shears or cuts off life. It cuts the individual off from the source of life. And if you're here this morning and you're like, come on, man, Steve, this is like week four on the wrath of God. Um, can we like put it in gear? Can you get on down the road? Come on, let's get down, down the Romans road. Let's get, you know, stick with me through this today. Because this is so important for believers and unbelievers to understand what the Bible has to say about the wrath of God. John Lindell, in his book, Soul Set Free, said this, human selfishness always leads to pain and brokenness for the sons and daughters of God. So desperate that the sons and daughters God so desperately loves, which is precisely why God remains actively opposed and wholly hostile to evil. The justice of God is not somehow opposite of the love of God. It is rather a manifestation of it. And as we wrap this mini-series looking at God's wrath, perhaps it has caused pause in your life, and I hope that it has. Perhaps you have been asking some questions. Like we have said, it isn't a topic that you hear much about within churches anymore, but it's a topic of Scripture, therefore it's a topic that we must talk about. So, so what I want to do real quick this morning is, is give you six things about the wrath of God, and we'll have some application at the end of, the end of it. But, but, but um, just quickly, the gospel is only good, good news if we understand the bad news. So let's talk about the why of the wrath, or, or just to know about the wrath of God. Six things. Number one. God's wrath is not like human wrath. We've talked about this already, so we won't take a lot of time on this, but his wrath isn't a loss of temper or uh, emotional rage. His wrath is not uh, getting tied up in rush hour and somebody having an episode of road rage. He doesn't need a Snickers because he's hangry. It's an active, measured, appropriate, loving response to the opposition of, of evil right secondly God's wrath is provoked what do you mean his wrath is a response as I just said his wrath is a response to evil unlike his love how many know God is love right scripture tells us that scripture claim uh, plainly uh, communicates that attribute of who God is that God is love that that's his nature his love isn't provoked God loves you because he loves you. It's not based on what you did or didn't do. He's not going to love you any more tomorrow than he loves you right now. 
I mean, that, isn't that just amazing to think? That, that his love for you is perfect and it's outside your performance or your lack thereof. Why? Because it's his nature. Wrath is provoked by the evil acts of people. Number three, God is slow to anger. And you and I ought to be grateful that God is slow to anger. Why? Because why is he slow? Because he, he's slow because he wants all to come to repentance. Right? What is God's record? From Old Testament to New Testament, you see this. Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 says this. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, the God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the inequity of the fathers and children and children's children and third and fourth generation. Flip over to the New Testament, 2 Timothy, or excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Peter writes this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. If God has delayed discipline, uh, displaying his wrath, for whatever reason, whatever the circumstance is, the reason why he has displayed or he's been slow in displaying his wrath is because he's waiting for people to repent. Aren't you glad for that? I know some of us, there's been, all of us at times have said, man, God, would you just sick him? Who's ever said that, right? You just get him. But God's like, no, 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 no. You, you don't understand what you're asking. I want them to come to repentance. Number four, God's wrath is already being revealed. Verse 18 of Romans 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So how is this working out? How has it been revealed already? Because God lets people do what they want to do. Paul gives an example for us of that panning out and playing out in, in Romans chapter 1, verse 24, 26, and 29. The he, and he talks about the lust of their heart. He, he talks about dishonorable passions. He talks about foolish thinking. And part of the expression of God's wrath is seen when he lets people do what they want. God simply allows us to choose. People get what they wanted, right? They, they act out in a certain way, and they reap what they sow. And in some sense, the wrath of God is giving people what they wanted. But also, it's not God who banishes us. It's people banishing themselves. I love what C.S. Lewis said in, in really breaking that down really simply. There are two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And to those whom God says in the end, thy will be done. Number five, God's wrath is being stored up. That there's coming a day when God will deal completely with evil. And it will be a perfect judgment. It will be a holy judgment. And it will be a right judgment. And the picture is God holding back a righteous response to, to the evil of people. And as it accumulates more and more, right, 
more people's sin builds up, more people's transgressions build up, the result of that, the greater the wrath, until it's finally poured out, and that day will come. Scripture tells us that. And number six, dealing with God's wrath, God's wrath is on all sinners. Remember this, that God is perfect. I mean, you all look good this morning. You sounded really good singing me happy birthday. But God's perfect. The standard isn't our righteousness or what we think is fair. As one person said, fairness ended in the garden. Right? This is being measured. This topic, this this dealing is, is being measured by God's righteousness. And his righteousness is perfect. We understand the weight of this, right? It isn't God's wrath being poured out later. In context to John chapter 3, verse 36, it's on people now. Look what Jesus said. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. What does that mean? I mean, that's heavy. It means this, apart from Christ, you are under the wrath of God. You're not under the grace of God. And so you and I, humanity gets this choice. What do I want to be under? Do I want to be under the grace of God or do I want to be under the wrath of God? The choice is yours. Choose wisely. All of that being said, let's quickly dive into Romans chapter 9, or excuse me, chapter 3, 9 through 20. Look at your neighbor and say, man, I'm glad you're in church today. (laughs) verse 9 what then are the Jews any better off no not at all for for we have already charged that all both Jews and Greeks are under sin in other words God doesn't have favorites or he doesn't look over wrongs why because he is righteous this portion of scripture that we're getting ready to to jump into here it almost feels like a courtroom as you read through it. And there's 13 counts, 13 indictments against humanity as we walk through 9 through 20. And through this portion of Scripture, Paul is saying, listen, every human being is guilty of sin. In other words, man, we're all, apart from God, apart from Christ, we're all in this boat together and the boat's going down because of the weight of sin. I mean, verse 10 tells us there's none righteous. Verse 23 tells us all have sinned. And so verses 10 through 18, you see this word all or, or no one. I mean, it's like all means all, right? It's like, so you could classify the charges against humanity in three categories. Charge number one, guilty in regard to their character. Verse 10. As it is written, none is righteous. You could use the word justified. In, in verse 20 of Romans 3, Paul uses the word justified. You could, you could use it here. No, not one. In other words, man, none is holy. None is innocent. Ever broken the speed limit? Every, ever California coasted at the stop sign? Ever coveted your neighbor's ribeye on the grill at night 
none is without blame. How many of us know someone, and they're not a Christian? They don't claim to be a Christian. They say, I'm not, I don't believe in God. But man, they're a great person. They're, they're, they're an upright citizen. You would want them to be your neighbor. No one is righteous. To the religionists, thinking on their efforts, Paul says, nope, not even you. No one has kept God's standard. No one. Zilch. Nada. Nobody. Nope. <laughs> I don't know how else you could say it, right? What is God's scale? God's scale is either you are innocent or you're not. There's no in-between. No one is good enough to cover their sins. So, so Paul lays out this indictment on, uh, with several statements. It says in verse 11, no one understands. In other words, they don't comprehend how awesome God is. Paul is saying humanity is ignorant relative to God. You all know what ignorant is, right? Ignorant, ignorance is a person doesn't know. And they don't know that they don't know. Paul is saying mankind is ignorant when it comes to understanding God. And that, that doesn't, that's not an affront, that's not a bash, that's just the reality. No wonder we're admonished to pursue Jesus. When Jesus says, man, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So as you're reading Scripture, as you're reading through the Gospels and you're getting glimpses and pictures and encounters of Jesus interacting with people and speaking life into people and, and healing people and, and, and um, restoring people, doing miracles of just whatever, whatever manifestation, you're getting a picture of the Father. And Paul further addresses the cause of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. What, what causes this? Satan, who is the God of the world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. So the secular man, apart from God, can't understand God. And so... I admonish you as you pray and, and as you step towards um, uh, having opportunity to proclaim the gospel to people, to share Christ with people, that, that one of our prayers would be from right there out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. God, that you would remove the blinders that they may see you. God, that they would see you. As we step towards Easter, and I'm going to be inviting people to Easter, God, I pray that the blinders would be removed so that they can see you. The next indictment, verse, uh, the second part of verse 11, no one seeks God. We're not talking about seeking in terms of salvation, but in terms of, of as a part of creation. Those of you that have been in church for any length of time have probably heard of the Westminster Catechism. But the statement within, the, uh, the main statement that is the most well-known statement within that catechism is this, what is the chief end of man? To worship God, and to enjoy him for an hour on a Sunday morning. No, right? 
It's to worship God and to enjoy Him forever. So pursuing God, that, you, that we would make knowing God, that we would make desiring God the purpose of our life. No one does that prior to coming to Christ. Romans chapter 3, verse 12, all have turned aside. In other words, that, uh, that phrase turned aside in secular Greek in Paul's day, it was used of a soldier who deserted, used of a soldier who went AWOL, going the exact opposite way of where you're supposed to, right? Verse 12, together they have become worthless. <laughs> worthless, I mean, that's a strong word. You know what, the, the, the picture of the meaning behind that word worthless is this, of milk that has soured. Milk that isn't fit for use. Eggnog that is gone bad. Half and half, that is no more half. It's just, it's just full clumps. It's, it's the milk that, that, that you're pouring into your coffee on a Sunday morning. Yeah, you see it in your mind's eye right now, don't you? Clump, clump, and suddenly that Folgers just got tasting a whole lot worse. That milk that's not fit for use. I mean, what, what do you do with chunky milk? <laughs> you pour it down the drain. Some of you are like, some of you are like, I give it, I give it to my neighbor's cat. No, I'm just kidding. Romans, <laughs> Romans 3, verse 12. I didn't say it. Somebody did. No one does good, not even one. Man, a part of, apart from God, does things for a much less motive. Why do you do that? Well, it makes me feel good. Why, why do you do that? It makes me look good. Why do you do that? It moves me ahead of others. People do things for other than the glory of God. Now, the, I think it pa you should pause and, and ask yourself a question. As I was thinking about this, you know, it, it went through my mind. And, and um, what would, it's like, so then see, what are you saying? Are, are you saying that you would rather have, not have people do good? Would you rather have them do evil than good, even if they're far from God? Well, what do you think? Absolutely. You, you want people to do good, right? You want, you want good neighbors. You want people to have a moral standard of some point. But that's not the point that Paul's making. The issue is when people do good, they want to attach eternal merit to it. Why should you be able to enter into heaven and they say, well, I did this, 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 and this. And I didn't do this, 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 and this, and this. So because I did this, and this is a little bit longer that I can think of right now than this, therefore I should go into heaven, or I should be allowed to enter into heaven. The religions of the world, Islam. Do your good works. You'll stand before Allah. And maybe, depending on the day, if he's in a good mood, he'll let you in. But it may not happen. Mormonism, Jehovah Witness, any other religion, it's works-based. It's, it's what you do. And Scripture doesn't work that way. God doesn't work that way. A merit system doesn't work. 
If you're like, Steve, how can you say that? I can say that based on the authority of God's word, but also the very author of, of, of the book of Romans says it doesn't work. How does he describe his merits? How does he describe his good works that he was banking on before he encountered Christ on the Damascus Road? You know how he describes it in Philippians chapter 3? He describes it, the King James says, as dung. I have a really good dad's joke right now, but I'm not going to do it because it's probably not appropriate for the pulpit. But it's like, here, God, here's my best work. That is Paul having confidence in works for salvation. How does Jesus feel? I mean, some people say, well, you know, that's Paul, and Paul's harsh, and Paul's mean, but, but how does Jesus feel about it? Luke chapter 16, verse 15, And he said to them, You are those who justify yourself before men, but God knows your heart. For what is highly esteemed? Well, I want to look good. I, uh, you know, I want to be, be ahead of the crowd. I want to, you know, I, I for me it's my merits it's my efforts for what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God man is guilty based on character all have sinned secondly guilty in regard to their conversation and Jesus said it this way out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks in other words if you have a dirty mouth you have a dirty heart and a concern, listen to me closely, please, as, as your pastor. A concern I have is that as our society becomes more and more secular, that believers would become less and less concerned about the words that they use. Robin and I were watching a show um, prior, kind of through the Christmas season, and... Um, and then as we stepped into the 21 days of fasting and prayer, I was just like, you know what, we're going to, um, I, I love the show. I, I love the baseline, the storyline of the show. And, and I mean, it's like a, a super cool show as far as like storyline goes. But, but as we were watching it, we noticed like, it seemed like we watched one episode and kind of went, eh, and then watched the other, the next episode and kind of went, eh, I wish they wouldn't use that word so much. And then finally, we're just like, you know what? It's not worth it. Um, and, and so we haven't watched any other episodes of it. And, I, and honestly, I want to. Because I like the storyline. But I'm like, I don't need it in my house. I don't need to be thinking that word all the time. And, and so... We haven't watched another episode. I'm not trying to put my conviction upon you, but I'm just saying that, that be careful because it's so easy to slip into an area where you never thought you'd slip. Right? I mean, when our kids were younger, we didn't let them watch SpongeBob. They should thank me now. Partly the reason I didn't let them watch it because I just found the little guy really annoying. His voice, just, it was like fingernails on a chalkboard. Some of you are like, what's that? 
Um, but he was just knowing. But, but the real reason why we didn't watch it, because we didn't like how they, how they interacted and they talked to each other. It was disrespectful. It was, it was degrading to one another. So we were like, you're not watching that. I'm not letting that in my home. And they fought a little bit, but not much. And we went on. Romans 3, 13 puts it this way. Their throat is an open grave. Let me ask you a question this morning. Why, why do we bury the casket, bury the body? To cover the stench, right? To, so that we don't have to view the decay that's taking place. And Paul says their words are like a grave that are left uncovered. See the picture? Verse 13, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongue to deceive. In other words, deceive is about baiting people. It's, um, it's the, the fish, you know, you, you bait the hook, you, you try the salmon eggs, or you try the worm, or they switch to a jig, you switch to a spinner, uh, because you're, you're fishing for something. You're waiting for the, that, that fish, and, oh man, this is, all, this is what I, I want, and they hit on it, and they take the bait. And he says the venom of, of asps is under their lips. It's that, that picture of the snake where the fangs are set back in the snake's mouth until it opens up its mouth and its fangs come out and it digs into that which it's attacking. Their mouth and injects the, vi- the venom and, and their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. It's not just talking about profanity in society but also the frustrations people can have or they can feel because of situations, because of circumstances, and they begin to blame God. It reminds me of Job's wife. Job, just curse God and die because of everything that's happened. Just, just curse God and die. God is doing this to you, in other words. And I love Job's example for us that he refuses to curse God. Instead, we see him worship his way through that storm. Counter to the words of Job, he worships. And counter to the words of Job's wife, excuse me, is another example of Horato Spilford, if I pronounced his name right, who wrote the great hymn of the church, It Is Well With My Soul. In the midst of loss and despair as he was living and, and his family had gone back to England and he was still stateside and he got news that, that the, the ship that his family was on went down out in the Atlantic Ocean. His wife and kids all drowned and died, perished. And he boarded a ship and headed across and they stopped where the ship went down. To which, in that moment, can you imagine the grief? Can you imagine, God, why? Came the powerful words to that hymn, It is well with my soul. Humanity is guilty in character and conversation, but also, finally, they're guilty in conduct. Their feet are swift to shed blood. He's quoting Isaiah chapter 59. Man, Man's history speaks to that. Rwanda, Bosnia, the abortion crisis, Germany and Nazi Germany, Stalin, and on and on we could go. 
Romans chapter 3, verse 16 says, In their paths are ruin and misery, and the peace, and the way of peace they have not known. Why is mankind this way? What is causing the, the, the chaos and the pain that humanity would act in such a way? Verse 18 gives us the answer. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Here in a moment, we're going to wrap up and step back into worship. And I want this closing thought to help and may it inspire you to, cut, to step boldly before the throne of grace. Let me talk to you real quick as we wrap this up about the fear of God. Because Paul says, listen, there's no fear of God before their eyes, hence the charges. So what is, what is the fear of God? Let me give you four thoughts. And this, this will be quick. Worship team, if you want to come. Number one, respect. Fear of God means this, that we respect and honor God's greatness, glory, and majesty. That, that um, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 tells us this therefore since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken let us be thankful and so worship god acceptably with reverence and awe for god is a consuming fire that the fear of god is god you are absolutely awesome god you are amazing god i stand in awe of you that you are an eternal god without without spot without error you are perfect and righteous and holy you don't make mistakes you don't create mistakes god you are Almighty God. I fear you because of how awesome you are. In a few days, the students will be heading off to a spring retreat, and guys, you're going to have opportunity on that retreat to step into the presence of God and worship God in a powerful way, in a powerful moment. Seize the moment. And may God meet you there in a powerful way. Secondly, the fear of God should cause us to desire to worship God with all of our life. 1 John chapter 1, verse 3 says this, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We were talking about it Wednesday night at, at men's Bible study. Um, Eric Little got uh, brought up, who was an Olympic runner and, and the chariots of fire and all that stuff, right? And, um, and his fav famous line is this, when I run, I feel God. And I probably, I didn't quote it exactly right, but, but um, you get the idea. When I run, I feel God. When I worship, I feel God. When I do what I do tomorrow at work, I do it under the Lord, I feel God. When I'm, I'm, I'm writing an insurance policy for, for that customer and I'm helping my, that customer uh, through the process of a moment of grief because his house burnt down or they got in a car wreck and I'm there in that moment, what an opportunity. God, I worship you because you've made me to, to be in this moment and I fellowship with you in this moment and may my fellowship bring the presence of God to this individual that they may have peace. 
God, when I'm working this factory and I'm behind this machine again today and I'm stamping out and I'm cutting out whatever piece of metal, fabricating whatever this is for, God, this man, this is not just my station, this is my sanctuary. And God, you've given me the abilities and you've given me the opportunity to to do this task and to have favor, to have this job. And God, I thank you and I worship you in this moment because you deserve my worship and I desire to worship you in every area of my life. God, as I do these dishes, as I find myself here standing over this dishwasher, Yet again, oh God, I thank you that I have a dishwasher. (laughs) Right? Number three, understanding that God is the judge of all the earth and we are his hands. The writer of Hebrews is communicating to Jewish people who are considering going back to the Jewish religion, considering going back to the law, considering going back to the list. And he says this in Hebrews 10, verse 30. (laughs) For we know the one who said, I will take revenge, I will pay them back. He also said, the Lord will judge his own people. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. A healthy fear of God is, God, I thank you that you are righteous and you are holy. And you will judge that which is wrong. And it will be perfect. And it's not up to me. For some, all that should say to you, it's not an excuse, it's not, it's not condoning any, any decisions people are making. All that says to you and I is, man, I am so grateful. That should lighten a burden off of your shoulders that God will take care of that which is unjust God will take care of that which is unrighteous because the reality is is you want his judgment on it you don't want your judgment on it because his judgment on it will be perfect your judgment on it will be skewed number four fear of facing his punishment Luke chapter 12 verse 5 but I tell you whom to fear this is Jesus fear God who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. Yes, he's the one to fear. There are those that, that it's a terminology that you see common these days. It's called a, a red letter theology that would say, you know what, I'm going to discount what Paul writes about. I'm going to discount the epistles. I'm going to discount the rest of Scripture because Jesus doesn't talk about um, hard stuff. Jesus doesn't condone lifestyle decisions or condemn lifestyle decisions. No. He's not all right with sin. Because sin separates. Because sin brings the wrath of God. And hence, why Jesus came. So, we conclude this morning where we concluded the other three weeks with this, everyone is accountable. Everyone is called to the reality of their guilt 
what was it uh, was it last week or two weeks ago we put some scripture up you know galatians chapter five and then um, a passage out of romans chapter one that we had looked at a list of sins and we said hey point to the one that you um that you've you've been guilty on or you struggle with and i if i remember right all of you were pointing you weren't pointing at me i don't think i'm your problem i hope not anyway right <laughs> no it's it's you um we're all guilty. Romans chapter 3, verse 19. And I wrap up with this. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Humanity knows right and wrong. Therefore, humanity is accountable to, to that which they know, which God has written on their heart, which God has communicated to us through his word. So what do we do? No one is innocent before God. Keeping the law cannot make a person innocent before God. Because God is just, he, he must and will punish sin and sinners. So what do we do? your fingers no Jesus took your place he took the punishment of your sin that which was perfect which he was bore our sin so that if you put your faith in him your sins will be forgiven say it all the time and we'll say it on Easter he came to our place he took our place so that we can go to his place Father God as we bow our our heads and our hearts before you right now yet again we look at this passage we look at this text and unless I miss my guess it's easy for all of us to to want to say but but what about or but i or but i'm not as bad and yet your word pushes us to a corner and says but you're guilty and you don't have to carry that guilt you don't have to try to maneuver out of that guilt on your own because you can't I have made a way through Jesus Christ my son and it's not a a message for 2,000 years ago it's a message for today it's a message for the centuries it's a message for millennia until you return oh God that the God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life God if there's anyone here in this place this morning anyone watching online that they know that there is a chasm between them and you 
they know perhaps that they've relied on their good deeds and their good efforts and and that's great but the point is that that's not going to get you to heaven because there's no one righteous not even one and in order for you to stand before a holy God you have to be perfect and blameless and Jesus said I'll clothe you in my righteousness and therefore you can become perfect and blameless in me but you have to receive and allow me to be your Lord and Savior and if you're here in this place this morning you're saying hey I want to do that I want to take I need to take that step and allow Christ to have his rightful place in my life to allow him to be my Lord and Savior to put my hope in salvation in him and not in my good works or if you're watching online if you said Steve that's me would you just Steve would you pray for me I want to begin a relationship with with God today in this place. Would you just slip up your hand? Anyone at all? God, you know us. You know our hearts. You know what we put our confidence in. And God, I I pray that each and every one of us in this place is fully vested and fully confident in you Christ our salvation Christ our hope Christ our redeemer Christ our restorer our resurrector our soon and coming king and because of who you are God we just need to respond with a healthy fear just an awe and an amazement God that I can stand before you I get to stand before you here in a moment to worship you not in my own righteousness not on my own accord but because of what you did, God, may our worship of you be unbridled and unhindered. God, you are our champion. God, you are our restorer. You're our redeemer. God, may our hearts just be full of praise to you. Church, would you just stand with me if you would? If LifePoint Church is your home church right now, as you stand, would you just begin to open up your mouth and would you just begin to express worship? Would you just begin to express amazement about God's great grace and his just his holiness and his perfection and that you and I get to stand and come before him in our worship and, and, and respond to him just with utter amazement right now. Would you just lift up your voice and just begin to worship him, church. Just begin to, to step in with the angels and cry how awesome and how holy he is. God, we just love you, God. We just are, are really, some of us are beyond words as we just stand here, God, totally amazed, totally perplexed about your goodness, trying to comprehend, Lord, what is it's not up by what it's not what I've done that gives me right standing with you. Uh, no, it's you, and it's just because you're my child, and I want you in my presence, so I paid the price for your sin. God, you are so good. God, may our hearts be in awe and amazement. God, may you forgive us if we're holding on to an area of sin in our life, if we know of transgressions in our life. Oh, God, we ask for your forgiveness right now, Lord. We don't want that stuff. We, want, we don't want a, a, a body that is harboring sin, but, God, we want worship that's unrelenting and unhindered, Lord God. God, we love you. God, we worship you. Come on, church, let's worship him. This concludes the teaching. Thank you for listening. 
and we hope you can join us for next Sunday's service with Pastor Steve Rains.